Welcome back to the Marathon Running Podcast. My guest today is Al Carius from North Central College in Naperville, Illinois. Uh, to give some background on Al, I am going to borrow from the North Central Cardinals website. Uh, I'm just going to read right from it here. Uh, the architect of one of the most enduringly successful programs in collegiate athletics, Al Carius completed 54 years as the Cardinals' head men's cross-country coach, um, 44 years as the track and field head coach, where he still uh, serves as an assistant to the distance runners. A native of Morton, Illinois, Carius came to North Central in 1966 after two years as a graduate assistant at the University of Illinois. As an undergraduate at Illinois, he was a two-time Big Ten Conference champion in cross-country, and he added three Big Ten two-mile titles in track. He continued to run competitively until 1968, and at the end of 19, the 1966 season, he had the fifth best time in the United States at the 3,000-meter steeplechase. The North Central Cross-Country Program holds the NCAA record across all divisions, one, two, and three, for the number of national team championships. Uh, they have won 19 team national championships. They have 16 runner-up finishes at the national meet. Um, they have produced 127 All-American awards, including eight individual national champions, 49 conference team championships from the College Conference of Illinois and Wisconsin, including the last 46 in a row. Al was named the... Uh, U.S. Track and Field Cross Country Coaches Association Coach of the Century. Al is out with a new book called Run for Fun and Personal Best. Now, this um, is not marathon specific at all. Uh, I don't think we talk about marathon training at all in this interview. And we actually don't even get that specific about running at all. But um, my friend Jeff Milliman, who was my guest on episode one, actually ran at North Central and was a individual cross-country champion for Division Three in 1980. Um, so Jeff introduced me to Al, and we thought it'd be a good idea to get him on here and have him talk about the book and and explain a little bit about his coaching philosophy and while it's not a very technical conversation, I think it's interesting to hear from somebody who's been an icon in the sport of distance running. And for those who are really only super interested in the technical nuts and bolts of running, um, at the end of this interview, we, he actually does give some really good insight into training. Um, we barely touch on it for just a minute, but... Um, he actually does give some really practical advice, which I found really helpful. But with that, I will go ahead and play my interview with Al Carius. Well, first of all, thank you. I really appreciate you taking some time to do this. Well, I, I, I think it's fun. And anything, uh, any way associated with Jeff Milliman is, uh, 
is is even makes it extra fun for me. I'm trying to get my phone to stand up here so it doesn't fall over. You know, I was actually talking to Jeff yesterday, and he knows that I'm talking to you today, so he's really interested to hear how it goes. And I asked Jeff, um, you know, why did you end up deciding to go to North Central? That's a great question. And you know what? And Because he said, well, I was talking to Syracuse, Michigan State, University of Florida, and University of Rochester. Those were his options. And then... His high school basketball coach, and I don't know his name, but whoever his high school basketball coach kind of pulled him aside one day and said, you know, you should check out this school kind of near Chicago. Uh, I think you'd really like, I know the coach. And apparently his high school basketball coach was somebody that maybe went to high school with you or knew had a personal connection with you. And I don't know his name, but I could find out later. Yeah, I'd but, sure love to know who that was and, uh, you know, thank him because... Uh, Having a Jeff Milliman come to North Central College is like having a meteor land in your backyard or something. It just doesn't happen. And Jeff Milliman was such a gift to North Central College program in many, many, many ways. Well, and I asked him, you know, if you were considering all these other bigger schools, you know, he was a big shot guy. And I was like, what what, what made you make that decision? And he said, you know, it's really hard to say. It's just after you chat with Al... And after chatting with these other coaches, it was just kind of a no-brainer. And he said, I can't really describe it. It's just you talk to Al, and then you can't help but want to be there. Um, so that was interesting. And I think that's a common uh, story, you know, reading your book and hearing other people talk involved with the program. That's seemed to be a common story or something like that. And we'll get into why and how you and your program are so unique. But the first thing I wanted to ask you is this. Um, you know, you have a story in the book about being invited to speak at a conference and you go there and it's a bunch of running coaches and some athletes and you give your presentation and everybody everybody knows about the championships and the the great performances and everybody wants to know the secret, you know, how what's the secret to your success? How are you doing this? Why are you guys so good? And, you know, you also talk about in the book, somebody comes out and tries to test the water at a local yeah, natural true. spring. Three, three guys came to my door one day. Yes. People think there's something in the water, literally. Um, so you go to this conference and everybody's, you know, waiting for the magic formula, you know, and you start talking about motivation and, you know, basically anything but training. And, and you say, you know, most people were disappointed by that. They wanted the nuts and the bolts. They wanted the mechanics, the physical, the physiology. Yes. Um, you said the majority of the people, in your opinion, were let down by that. Um, so my question is this. Over the course of your whole career, would you say that that is the most common reaction you get when people are first faced with your approach and your attitude towards coaching? Would you say most people you know, athletes, other coaches, the general public, would you say most people would kind of line up with the people in that conference and kind of be let down and, and wanted to know the secret? Or do you think it's more like half and half positive, negative, or how would you gauge the general reaction you've gotten over the years? I, I think you make a very valid point, uh, Joe. And I think, I think, you know, most coaches uh, are disappointed with my presentation because I, I, 
you know, talking about the physical side of things are really easy. Physiology of exercise, I think, is relatively easy in terms of talking about endurance and, and the physiology that really helps to create uh, the ability to run faster times. I think that's well documented and it's uh, very, very, you know, tangible and, and can be proven. But the things that I like to talk about are, you know, and again, we like, I like to compare it to the air. I mean, is, uh, are we surrounded by air? Absolutely. It's all around us. And uh, is it essential for our life? Absolutely. Yes. But you can't really see it and you can't really touch it and you can't, you know, really hold it, but you know that it's there. And uh, so what I have, you know, come to believe, you know, through my, you know, coaching is that. Uh, 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 our success at North Central College is no, there's no secrets in our workouts in terms of the physiology, because I think that's basic, uh, you know, knowledge for most people and uh, in, to, to understand. But I think that talking about the, the invisible uh, things that you can't see uh, within that the, the, the lie below the, the, the surface of a program, I think are, are very difficult to understand very difficult to explain and very difficult for people to to really comprehend and and say hey well let's uh let's you know try to use some of this in a, in our program and yet i really feel that those invisible uh values and virtues are critically important to really helping a person to be the very best that they can be well, what about your athletes over the years? Is there a typical progression that most athletes go through when they come in and and hear you talking about, you know, the spirit and the invisibles and the soul and like all the non-physical factors? I mean, do most athletes buy into that pretty quickly or do you find it's been kind of a struggle and it takes a long time for for your athletes to get on the same page as you in all those terms? I, my quick answer to that is no, they do not buy into it, you know, right away, because again, it's something that can't be seen. They have not, for the most part, experienced in their, in, you know, through their training in high school. Uh, and, you know, coming in, uh, you know, some will absorb these values and virtues. And I, in my opinion, it helps them not only to be a better runner, but to be, you know, a better person, help them throughout their, their life. Some will absorb them and some will not. And I believe that those that absorb these values are sustained within the program and will get a lifelong uh, uh, values, you know, from, from those uh, uh, the experiences that they have at North Central College. So some, some accept it, some absorb it, and some do not. And sometimes, and this is really kind of strange, and yet it's happened many, many times. Sometimes it's not till years and years later that I'll mm -hmm. get a phone call or a letter or an email or a message in some way and say, Coach, I now understand what you were trying to tell me at the time that I was in school. So the, the short answer is no. Most, most uh, athletes do not uh, really understand nor absorb those values, but I still you know, believe they're critically important uh, for their long-term success as a runner and, more importantly, their long-term uh, success and stability in their life. Well, that's interesting. And you also say in the book a few different times, you say, I, you, meaning you as the coach, can't motivate an athlete. I can only reinforce 
correct what they already have intrinsically you know within them and correct you say they have to motivate themselves and they have to have already answered the question why why am i doing this yeah um, that's about, yes that's that's really you know the defining moment that i think we all have in our lives at different times in our life and i think as a runner we have uh that defining moment and we have to answer the question why am i doing this what's the the ultimate reason for it and uh, you know so i think that that's that's critically important to, to uh, get to get to that point and in getting to that point and <laughs> You know, I can I can sympathize with people who would rather avoid that question because that when you start asking why am I doing something, you start to uh, inevitably that leads to more whys. Well, and you just go deeper and deeper, and you can get faced with some pretty, you know, it can get deep. And uh, you know, I think I can um, I can understand the impulse not to want to go deep because you may not have a good answer to that if you start digging. Um, but given that it is such an important question, do you, in your mind, you know, when, if an athlete has to answer that for themselves, it, are there good and bad answers to that? I think, I think the, the answer is, and, it, and again, it's kind of a, a vague area to be dealing with, but I believe it's the difference between extrinsic motivation and intrinsic motivation. I believe that, you know, everybody starts whatever they're doing with a, an external uh, goal in mind, and that's, that's tangible, and that's important, you know, for them. I think we start running, you know, with a lot of external, you know, uh, motivation, but I think that the sustainability of staying with something over long term and having it become a part of your life and your lifestyle then goes to the intrinsic, you know, side of things where you're doing something extrinsically to begin with, you know, maybe for, you know, the a time or a place or a medal or being on a team, you know, and getting a trophy. I understand all of that and all of that. That's important. But I think that really that to, to really maximize a person's, uh, talents and abilities. I think it's eventually, you know, it, it's important to move to the deeper um, motivation of the why. Why am I doing this? Why is this important to me? And that gets into the intrinsic, you know, side of things where it really goes deep down inside of you. And you say, I really feel value uh, in, in what I'm doing. And a lot of these values are very uh, uh, invisible and not very tangible, but critically important. And and so I don't know if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. Well, and I think in the book you go into um, you lay it out in terms of the level one, level two, level three yes. coaching, and that may be a, a good way to think about it too. Um, where and just a briefly, if I can summarize, level one is basically the physical, and you say, you know, eighty percent or so of coaches and athletes understand the physical and they've got that and that's kind of where they focus and then level right, right. level two would be more the emotional mental psychological side um and you know a fewer a smaller percentage of people grasp that and can tap into that and then you you move on to level three which is the spiritual and like the deepest and you would say the most fundamental or foundational and the most important part because it actually sustains level one and two. Um, and you say even fewer people 
ever really get to that point where they're tapping into that and allowing the spiritual to sustain themselves physically and mentally. Um, so what I would, what I've wondered in, in hearing you explain that is, and, and we kind of touched on this in the first question, but you know, how, how has it worked out with you and your athletes over the years? And you, you may have some specific examples where you have something in, in your opinion that is the most important and maybe an athlete hasn't bought into that. So how does that relationship play out where, you know, an athlete might have the attitude of, oh, come on, coach, I don't want to hear about the spirit or anything like that. Just tell me what times I need to run. And they're otherwise very committed to the sport and, you know, want to succeed and want to work hard, but they're not on the same page as you in that regard. How does that relationship play out? Like, how does that work? You know, again, I think, you know, those percentages you talk about it again, that, that uh, those boundaries and uh, different levels really came from the book, uh, the three-dimensional coach from Dr. Jeff Duke, mm-hmm. who is a Christian sports psychologist. And he explained that, you know, that, that, you know, most coaches are level one, they deal with the physical, you know, the materialistic, the tangible, you know, things in coaching. And that's what most coaches really want to hear. And I think most athletes really want to you know, grasp onto as well. But then, then you get to the deeper level, the dualism of mind and body, and you start, you know, you know start talking about motivation, the dif- difference between, again, intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. And you're talking about where does confidence come from, a very intangible thing. How do you build a team, the team dynamic? Where do, what is synergy? What is chemistry? What is uh, atmosphere? What is culture? All those things uh, are very, very important. And uh, Dr. Duke at, at uh, that uh, convention where I heard him speak the first time, I think it was 2009, he said fi- only 15% of coaches really uh, delve into that level. And I think that's true for athletes as well. To understand that that dimension is, is very difficult. But he said the, co- the programs that are most sustainable and most consistently successful, and I believe that you know carries over to athletes as well, the athletes that have the, the longest term success uh, in in the program and have the sustainability and they let it become a part of their lifestyle. And that goes to their spiritual foundation or what you might care uh, call uh, the, the values that make it a person's character. So it's important. What I try to do within our program is really emphasize these uh, values and virtues that really help to make, you know, character, you know, and uh, you know, work ethic, d- discipline, commitment—you know, uh, uh, you know—so so many different factors that are uh, intangible, uh, but are that make up uh, the, the 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 third level uh, that uh, you know help to, uh, a person to have the sustainability uh, to to be the very very best in the sport. But I think that uh, that goes back to Dr. Jeff Duke, like you said, uh, the three-dimensional coach. You know, the fact that so few people take it to that level, but you do, and not only do you, you know, touch on this stuff where a lot of people probably shy away from it. I mean, you take it by the horns and make it the centerpiece of your program. And I wonder, how do you think when most people are either unwilling or maybe too afraid to go there, especially when it comes to a team, you know, a team environment, where did you get the 
Um, where did that come from with you as a coach? How did you get to the point where you decided to to make this such an emphasis in your program? I think in, in the book, I talked about this, but I'll, I'll relate it as well. My experiences taught me that, uh, uh, you know, for my, for my philosophy at North Central College, when I went to University of Kansas for one semester uh, and I was in the program out there and, and, and I was very immature, very uh, uh, naive, and it came from a very small town and uh, I really did not know myself very, very well. And uh, when high school, I competed in sports, uh, a number of different sports, because I loved it, because I enjoyed the, the experience. I loved being with my teammates and the deeper feelings that, that uh, you know, came from being, you know, in, in a program. And I went to Kansas and all of a sudden I was exposed to a more business-like approach, approach to uh, a- athletics and more about uh, uh, what I or the athlete could do to help the coach and the sport to be successful. And I really lost a lot of my, you know, uh, why in my life in terms of that my intrinsic motivation for what the reason that I, that I loved running, I lost a lot of that. And because it became a business and I had to do it rather than wanted to do it. And it was my own you know, fault. There was nothing wrong with the coach out there. It was my immaturity that, that led to that, uh, you know, kind of feeling. I left Kansas after one semester uh, and really felt like a failure and uh, very, very disappointed in myself with that experience. And I really felt like I was going to quit, quit running and didn't want to run anymore because the joy was out of running for me. And uh, I went to University of Illinois, uh, uh, University of Illinois in Champaign and uh, met a man by the name of Phil Coleman. Phil Coleman was a two-time Olympian uh, and once held the American record for the indoor two mile, Phil Coleman. He was teaching English uh, and getting his doctorate at the University of Illinois. And he became really my distance coach down there. And he was affiliated with the University of Chicago Track Club. And I got a chance to meet a, a tremendous mentor in my life. And, and that was uh, Ted Hayden. Ted Hayden was the other end of the spectrum, the philosophical spectrum. And it was all about what he could do and what the sport could do to help the individual athlete to learn and grow through the process. He did not care about, yeah, is it important for people to do the very, very best with their God-given talent? Absolutely. But he didn't care about outcome. He really was, you know, wanted to provide the opportunity for people who loved what they were doing to have the opportunity to continue to, uh, to, to, to run. And so he was very, very much about what he as a coach and the sport could do to help enhance a person's life and to reinforce what was the deepest motivation they had in their heart. And that is a love of the sport, a love of running. And so he provided that opportunity for everybody at the University of Chicago Track Club. And I got a chance to meet him and he had a tremendous impact on my life. And and I've made reference to this. And I think it's it's something Ted Hayden told me. We used to have dual meets uh, with uh, University of Chicago Track Club against Division One programs and some really, you know, very, very successful Division One programs. And I will never forget this one time. I won't mention the school, but we were going against a Division One program. And Ted Hayden said to me, he said, you know, Al, we don't want to win this meet. I said, what do you mean we don't want to win the meet? He said, Al, if we win the meet, 
we're not going to be invited back, you know, because, you know, so we want to give them a good competition and, you know, and, 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 and want to be invited back next year so that we provide an opportunity for our athletes to, uh, to, to do what they enjoy doing. And, and that is, you know, run and uh, being in a, in a track and field, you know, program. So uh, that's really had a major impact on my life. And, uh, uh, the contrast between the two coaching philosophies that I experienced. Yeah, that's that's really an interesting point. How you know the things we end up embracing and living out in life, to some degree, are just the result of the people that have been in our lives. Um, yes, and I remember that story from the book, and I I wonder if you could go back and. Um, you know, during that time when you were deciding to leave University of Kansas as an athlete after that first semester, um, one of your teammates was Billy Mills, who, by the yes. way, was the only American to ever win the gold medal in the 10,000 meters. Um, and you talk about an interaction you had with him during that time period. And I wonder, and I think even, I may correct me if I'm wrong, you may, I think in the book you called him your angel or something like that. Um, or he was very important during that process. I wonder, you know, how do you think anything would have ended up differently for you if you hadn't have known Billy Mills? Well, I think, yes, I'm sure that in, in what you're talking about, it's kind of like the Jimmy Stewart. It's a wonderful life syndrome. Every person that we meet in life has an impact on our, on our life and influence. Mm -hmm. So uh, whoever, whatever we become is, it is a, uh, a result of the people in our life and the experiences that we have. And certainly Billy Mills, him coming into my life at that point, I think uh, helped me to really uh, not be so uh, disappointed with my decision about leaving Kansas because I felt like a quitter. It, I didn't feel very good about myself and Bill Easton, uh, who was the coach at Kansas and a highly successful coach, very successful. Uh, he had talked to me for uh, two hours on a Friday afternoon from three o'clock till uh, five o'clock and, and uh, about not leaving Kansas. And he told me someday you'll write a letter saying this is the biggest mistake you've ever made in your life. And I, I never wrote the letter and I was happy that I left, but I didn't know if I ever wanted to run anymore. I just really had lost my my uh, appreciation for the deeper uh, connection as to why I ran in the first place. And he sent Billy Mills up to my room. And yes, I call him an angel on earth because at a time when I was very, felt very, very dis disappointed in myself and uh, probably semi-depressed uh, with my decision, uh, Billy Mills came up to my room and, and said, you know, Al, and I thought he was going to try to talk me out of leaving. He said, you know, Al, if he could leave Kansas, he would leave Kansas. And he talked about how he talked about this business-like approach uh, that, that, that was there and, and talked about how uh, the coach had used him to gain points uh, to, you know, and just about winning and what he could do to help him help the coach to be successful, which is an important part of being an athlete. Okay. But he thought that was the most important thing that he felt from the coach. And uh, that, 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 uh, that, but he said, if he could leave Kansas, he would leave Kansas, but he needed to stay there, you know, to get, you know, he was on athletic scholarship to get an education. And when he left Kansas, uh, 
and it went on to win the Olympic gold medal in 1964 in Tokyo. And I happened to be running with, at, at, I think it was Knights of Columbus games in Cleveland, Ohio. And Billy Mills had won the Olympic 10,000 meters. And he uh, was touring the country and he was at the Knights of Columbus games. And I think, I can't remember if he ran the mile or not, you know, there, but he was there and he and I got a chance to reconnect. And he told me that when he left Kansas, he was not on speaking terms with Bill Easton. And, uh, but when he won the Olympic gold medal, he said Bill Easton came out of the stands and they shook hands and made up. And that's a, a very, very important thing. And I'm, and I'm happy for him that they made up. But it was a difficult you know, time in my life. And it was really, uh, I, again, it wasn't the coach's fault. It was my immaturity and, uh, and for not really understanding, you know, what was important to me and understanding my why in the sport. Yeah, and then um, shortly after that, you tell a story where you're running with some of the guys at Illinois, and um, one of them says something like, uh, you know, you ask them why they're running or something, and they say, well, we just like running. Or, yeah. <laughs> and that kind of blew you away. Like, what? What do you mean? You're just doing that? You don't have to be doing this, and you just enjoy it? That kind of opened your – kind of changed your – perspective a little bit um and so i thought i'd ask you about um you know these seemingly contradictory ideas that obviously you've reconciled in your mind and i've i want to try to understand how you've reconciled them and for example the idea of loving i'm I'm sorry running for the love of running and loving uh, running as play and running you know just for the pure enjoyment versus the tangible, the competition, the external outcomes, um, because you kind of hold those both in tension with each other. And it seems like they could compete. Those two, you know, motivations could compete with each other. So I wonder how you kind of hold them both in your mind together. Yes. Well, I think they they both complement one another. Are you better because of competition? Yes. Are you better because of... uh, you know, being surrounded by, you know, uh, others and competing with them. Yes. But the, in my opinion, the ultimate goal is really, and the, the toughest competitor you're ever going to meet in life is yourself. And if you can use competition, you can use your, you know, being in, 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 uh, you know, being in a, in a culture and environment and an atmosphere where there is competition uh, with others. I think it, it helps you, to really maximize your abilities to be the best that you can be. Because again, the toughest competitor you're ever going to meet is yourself. It's really you versus you. And so having external uh, outside uh, reasons to run external are, are important, but ultimately it comes down to the battle with yourself to be the best that you can be. And that battle is and and winning that battle is a, is available for each and every you know person on your team. The number one runner and the last person on the team can improve. And when they improve, the the value that we say is most important part of our program is a personal best. When you've done something that you've never done before, we know that the person you've become in the process is critically important. And and uh, the life values that you've learned in the process are going to stay with you you know, forever. So it's really a combination of both uh, that really help you to be your very, very best. 
I, I tell athletes, you know, tell them all the time, thank God for you've got great comp, you know, competition that we can get into, you know, because that helps you to be the best that you can be. And it, you're far better when you're in those kind of competitions, you know, and get you know, have that kind of excitement from that with the support of your teammates. But ultimately, the real value is what's happening internally and the person you become in the process of maximizing the great gifts that you've been given and the talents that you have and getting, again, a personal best. So it's a combination of both, if I, if I make any sense with that. No, yeah, for sure. And and you said something similar earlier where maybe, you know, most people start running for the external, for the, you know, the times and the the extrinsic motivation. And then maybe over time they sort of realize maybe like some of your athletes who years later write you and say, now I get it. I understand. I guess what I'm trying to put together in my mind is how exactly do you think you go from running for the external outcomes and you know whatever that might be that could be an olympic gold medal could be a personal best in a local road race it could be the pride or the prestige or the image you're trying to put off or anything um how how do you think you go from that to a deeper more um sustaining why or motivation i mean do you think it just happens naturally no I, I think I, I, it, it can happen naturally, but I think it's something that has to be reinforced on a you know regular basis. And the thing that that we emphasize within our program on a daily basis is self improvement. And we try to uh, single out certain characteristics, certain values, certain virtues that are critically important uh, to. Uh, to be developed within a person's life, and we'll and we'll reinforce those those values in front of the team. And it could be, you know, a guy that comes in last in a race, but he got a personal best. So we're not saying that this person, hey, look at, he's not a value because he didn't win. He's not a value because he didn't get a prize. He's not a value because he didn't score. No, he got the maximum award that he can get from the program. And that is becoming the best that he can be by using, you know, the environment, the competition, the teammates and everything else and learning those deeper rooted, you know, values that are going to stick with him the rest of his life to deal with adversity, deal with, you know, challenges, deal with, you know, things that happen, you know, through throughout life. So I think that that running is a living education, living laboratory for learning life's values, you know, for a lifetime. And, you know, part of the values that you learn are, again, how to deal with disappointment, how to deal with adversity, how to deal with, you know, the life's challenges. I think that's increasingly, you know, more and more and more important for young people to really absorb these kind of inner rooted strengths in their life that give them a sense of of self-worth that realize that they're really, you know, competing to be the best that they can be, you know, in the environment they're in. And they're to not get in the comparison trap and say, well, they're a time or a place or how they, you know, compare to somebody else. But if they're challenging themselves to be the best that they can be, that is ultimately success. So I think 
my my answer to your question is we try to reinforce that on a daily basis and they see it. And again, is everybody going to understand that, comprehend that or absorb that? Absolutely not. But that is the goal that we have. And I think, again, I mentioned it, those that absorb those values that really understand that, that intrinsic love of the sport and what they're doing, uh, then it, 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 it stays with them for a lifetime. And I love it when we see guys that once they're out of the program, they're continuing to run. Okay. They're not getting prizes, you know, necessarily, but they enjoy competition. We've got a, a, a guy that you might've heard of. It's certainly Jeff Melliman would have heard of, heard of him. Glenn Benke. I see him every morning. I'm 79. Glenn Benke is 69 and he runs every day. Now, is he winning races? Absolutely not. But running is a part of his life. He loves it. And he loves all the things that are associated with running that have uh, blended together that helped enrich his his life. Yeah, this idea of running as a means to an end, as as opposed (laughs) to running as an end to itself, um, is kind of, there seems to be, a sort of ironic um, uh, kind of circle of thinking here where, you know, I think I can imagine people who hear that and reject it because they, they want to use running as like a distraction from all the, you know, deep things in life. Like I just want running as an outlet or, or I'm just, I just want to win. And that's all I care about. I want the numbers. I want the, you know, whatever it is. I want the external outcomes. Um, and yet it seems like if you do buy into what you're saying, then the outcomes are sort of a byproduct of that, even though they're not the goal in and of themselves. Um, so I'm just, I don't know what the question is there, but it just seems like a, uh, you know, people who are focused on the winning and the, the externals, um, would probably benefit a lot from, you know, the, the deeper values you're talking about, but, you know, I guess it's kind of like, well, where does the motivation come from to even buy into that? Like if you're so focused on the external, um, you know, whereas if you're focused on the deeper values, the external outcomes may not matter to you as much. And yet, ironically, they probably improve as a result. I think, I think, you know, I think, Joe, you answered your question with your statement, you know, there. And I think it's, and again, I think everybody starts out with the extrinsic, you know, as, as, as a, a tangible goal. I think that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think through time, if reinforced, you know, philosophically within a program by a coach, uh, I, I think that, that the internal uh, longevity you know, uh, will be sustained when they're beginning to feel, hey, there's something else that I'm getting from this besides just the metal, besides just, you know, the time, besides just the place, besides the trophy, there's a feeling that I'm getting. And, and, uh, and it's really very, very, very personal. And again, it's so difficult to try to explain to anybody, but, uh, and, but, but it's something that I think is of tremendous, you know, value that's, that's really in, important to try to reinforce. 
And that is just the, the, the love of the sport, the love of the game, you know, doing it because uh, you're not getting is it okay to get a scholarship for in a, in, to be an athlete? Absolutely. That's great to help you to get an education. But I think what really ultimately helps the sustainability in any sport is to know that you just love doing what you're doing. And that is probably the deepest glue that answers the why of w- what you're getting from the experience of being an athlete in uh, most any, any program and certainly as a runner. You know, I'm 79. Again, I go out and it's pretty pathetic, but I go out and I'm not beating anybody. I'm not winning anything, but I enjoy the feeling. I, I Actually, I enjoy the feeling of being by myself and going out. And as slow as I may be going, I enjoy the feeling. It gives me goosebumps to go out and to continue to have this be a positive influence on my life because I know it's it's enriching, you know, my experience here on Earth. Um, switching gears a little bit. Um, I didn't realize this, uh, it's in the book, but, um, and I think most people would not realize this cause you never really, I don't think in public you really talk about it, but I'm kind of breaking up here. Wh- what was that? Uh, we're kind of breaking up there. I mean, you're getting fuzzy. Oh, I okay. I can hear there, you now, now better. Hear Is that better? Yeah. yeah, that's better. Okay. That's better. Yep think we yes. cut out a minute um i was wondering about the time you beat jerry lingren in the indoor two mile i think it was yes okay uh no it, it was actually it was a uh it was up at Cobol hall and it was a national invitational uh mile and jerry lingren i mean i think he had run he had run a 401 mile at one point and um he but he was actually more of a 10,000 meter 5,000 meter runner and he was the 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 you know, the real main attraction for that particular uh, race, and it was a national kind of a national invitational mile they had. And Ted Hayden, University of Chicago Track Club, called me. He said, "Al, hey, they're having this race at Cobo Hall, and they want a filler. They they weren't looking for me as as being any kind of an attraction in any way, shape, or form." And uh, uh, he said, uh, uh, "Would you like to go and run in the meet?" I said, "Sure, I'll go run." And that's one of the life lessons that I learned right then about not thinking about outcome, not worrying about outcome, not worrying about time. And I just went up and ran and got to run in a meet. It was on national television uh, with uh, Jerry Lindgren and with about two laps to go. And again, Jerry Lindgren is a far, far, far better runner than I ever was. And he was you know, primarily a 10,000 meter runner, but he was in the mile. And with about two laps to go, I thought, man, I feel really pretty good. I'm just going to take the lead and see what happens. And I took the lead and ended up winning. And I think the reason, you know, one of the reasons that I, that, that I did well there is I turned my mind off and I wasn't thinking about outcome. I was just enjoying the experience of competition, as you've hinted at, being in a competition with a great environment and uh, just having fun. In the process, I shocked myself, and I've seen that happen many, many times with a lot of different uh, athletes that I've coached, where they seem to sometimes have their best performance where they're not worried about outcome. Do they want to be successful? Yes, but they're not worried about it, and they're just enjoying the process, being in the zone, being in the noun, you know, call it mindfulness, whatever you want to call it, but it's a, you know, it, it's a, it's a hypnotic state 
where you're just doing the best you can at that moment and let the outcome take care of itself. And that's what happened, you know, up there. But Jerry Lindgren, I, I don't want to say I was a better runner than he, nowhere close to you know, being at his level. No, but that's a, I think that's a good um, illustration for, and this would probably fall in the level two category um, of just not having the pressure of the outcome actually elevate your performance. And to bring in another story from the book, um, I think it was 1980, where your cross-country team wins the regional meet. Yeah. And you, yeah. you're going back to the van after the meet, and you say to them something like, oh, now you know you can win nationals. And then the next week you go to nationals, and you, do way, you don't win. I think I can't remember if you're third or what place you came in, but you didn't win, and your team did much worse than you were expecting. And later you kind of reflected and talked to other people and realized, I probably put too much pressure on them by putting that weight on them of now you know you can win nationals. Um, I wanted to ask you that idea of not putting too much pressure on the outcome. Um, how do you balance that with, um, in another section, you talk about having positive expectations. And you mentioned yes. the the experiment with the mice where there's three groups of equal mice yeah. and the instructions are told, the instructors are told that their group of mice are different intelligence levels, but they really weren't. And the mice actually perform differently based on their trainer's expectations of them. Um, so how do you balance the idea of high expectations versus not putting too much pressure on? Okay. It's a great an analogy that 1980 experience. And, and again, I, uh, that was a very, it, it, confidence is an evolutionary pro process. You, you develop confidence through experience over time after time after time. And what we try to do is put our athletes into uh, environments and experiences that are going to help them to to challenge themselves to be the best that they can be and to gain confidence you know, along the way. In 1980, that was a very young uh, team. And we ended up, uh, we just went to the meet. And I thought, you know, at, at that time, we'd be very rather fortunate to even go get to nationals. And we ended up winning the uh, the regional championship in 1980. And uh, Jeff Millerman was a member, you know, of that team. And, you know, he was a highly acclaimed runner, great runner, you know. And uh, so anyway, we got into the van and uh, uh, I didn't understand that confidence has to be evolved. And I thought I could give them a quick fix of confidence, which was absolutely wrong. And they hadn't evolved to that point yet. And I said, yeah, I think, you know, now you guys know we'd won the national championship in 78, 79. And I thought, I said, now, I, now you guys know you can win. You know, that was a, a terrible mistake that I made because all of, they ran in that race in 1980 just to see what was going to happen, not be outcome orientated. And they did very, very well. Then all of a sudden, you know, I put the pressure on their back and uh, they went to the next week and we had one athlete that Jeff Milliman won the national title in 1980, but we had one athlete on our team that we got back in the van. We got seventh place at the nationals and we got, you know, uh, we got beat by teams that we had beaten the week before. And we just ran very, very poorly other than Jeff Milliman. One of my athletes said he felt like he was going to throw up at the line. Another athlete said he felt like the bed was shaking the night before he was so nervous. Well, I, I put them uh, in a state where they felt uh, pressure. They had not evolved to the point where they had that intrinsic 
uh, confidence, uh, which that we call the knowing that they have the positive expectation. They don't know what the outcome is going to be, but they know they are going to run well. That team did not have that. And I went to my mentor, Joe Newton, the legendary coach from York High School. And I asked him, I said, Joe, what mistake did I make? You know, here, he said, Al, he said, what you'd been better to say is, hey, guys, let's go to the national championship and just do what you've already done and you know, just approach it the same way emotionally. But I all of a sudden said, hey, now you can win the national title. And that became outcome orientated and it put pressure on them. And, uh, you know, we did not perform very, very well. But eventually, you know, we evolved in 1981. That team evolved, uh, gaining more and more confidence. And by 1982, the 1982 team had the knowing. When we stepped to the line in 1982, that was out in New, I think it was in New York, uh, Fredonia, I think. And uh, we, we stepped to the line. Our guys, they, there was no doubt about uh, what they were going to do. They knew they were going to run well. But in 1980, they had that self-doubt, that insecurity within them. And we had not evolved uh, with confidence to the point that we uh, gained in 1982. In 1983, we had four returning All-Americans coming back. And uh, by then, we kind of lost the synergistic glue that really pulled us together, you know, to be there for each other. We, in 1983, I think we forgot, you know, some of the uh, the we and became a little bit of, of me in 1983. And, and, and we lost the, the championship. And we had a pretty talented team in 1983. Can you explain a little more? what that process of evolution is for confidence? Is it just, just time and experience plainly, or is there more to it than that? Well, I think it, you know, I, I think it, it, uh, again, experience is a great educator and you learn from the experience and we try to, uh, you know, individually and collectively try to meet uh, the needs of an individual or a team, uh, in, in terms of what they need to gain positive uh, experience that's going to help them to gain confidence. For instance, you wouldn't take a, a guy that, um, I'm just going to make these things up. You can't take a guy that's that's run just five minutes in the mile and say, all right, we're going to put him in with these 415 milers and that's going to help him. No, that's not going to help him gain confidence. He's going to get destroyed because he's not ready for that. But you want to put him in the right section, the right heat, and let him, you know, have experience that's going to help him to gain confidence that he is evolving and he is growing. And it, it's, it's, it's a process. And I think in the book, I mentioned this, uh, Rick Wolfheater, you know, said to me one time, and Rick Wolfheater was the former world record holder in the 800 meter from, he came from St. Charles, went to Notre Dame, you know, won the, uh, uh, the, the Olympic gold medal, Olympic, uh, well, he was Olympic, uh, I'm sorry, he was a world record holder in the 800 meter. And Rick Wolhuter said one time to me and to, to Frank Ramoroso, our, our head track coach at the same time, he said, you know what, you got to get beat a lot of times before you really, you know, are prepared for to be at your best at uh, the, at the bigger meets. And so it's an evolutionary process. Do you want to get beat and destroyed? No. Do you want to get and have good competition and know that you're getting closer and closer to, to where you want to go? 
confidence is an evolutionary process that takes time. And the coach has to orchestrate that by uh, the meat selection and, uh, you know, in, in in the right environment for the individual athlete. And so we try to provide a lot of different opportunities for our athletes to get in the right experience from their freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, until they are ready for the higher level meets. You don't throw them in the deep end until they're ready to really, really swim with great confidence. In your own evolution as a coach, uh, because I don't think you won your first national title until 10 or so years into your career. Um, I think 1975 was your first one. Um, So you went, I mean, 10 years is not an insignificant uh, insignificant amount of time. Um, and then you, you've been there for so long, even after that point, do you think just your presence at the program itself, um, has been part of the culture that is there now? And I was also curious, did you ever at any point think about doing anything different or going anywhere else. I mean, I'm sure you've gotten offers to, you know, go, Hey, come coach here, come coach there. You know, I'm curious about your personal journey and how, if you've ever gone through periods where you questioned what you were doing and how your own confidence has evolved. Absolutely. You know, there are different times in my life with life experiences that I got to those kind of crossroads I think when I be turned 30 years of age, it was one of those crossroads. I think I was kind of sitting by myself and said, is this what I really am meant to do or what I, my purpose and this is what I want to do the rest of my life? That was, you know, one of the, the times. And there were times, yes, I had opportunities to go to some other institutions and through life experiences and life events at the time, it just wasn't proper for me or to, to make those kind of moves. And with time, I began to realize that my presence in a Division three program where I can really emphasize the philosophy which I really believe in, and it's not about outcome. And do we want to be successful? Yes. <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to minimize that. But really, what I want to do is more than anything else, be that Ted Hayden in young people's lives where the experience and the process is having a positive impact on them. And I felt and feel that I could do it best at a Division three program. And again, we've got you know athletes in our program that I knew through the years, we're never, ever going to make our top seven, never, ever going to win a race, but they loved to run. And they were tremendous examples to everyone else of what our philosophy is all about. And that is enjoying what you're doing, run for fun and strive to be the best that you can be. And that is available to each and every athlete within our program. And that really became paramount to me to preserve uh, within our program because of my experiences that I, again, that I had, uh, you know, myself uh, as an athlete learning, you know, what was most important for me and trying to impart those kind of feelings and values onto other people and provide those opportunities to other people. Well, 
I got a couple more before we wrap up, and okay. uh, we haven't we haven't talked about too much technical physical training, but I thought <laughs> I'd, at least, I'd at least try to get a couple practical takeaways here before we end. Um, your training, you you do have a short chapter in the book that talks about your your general you know schedule your during cross country season, I guess, and it sounds pretty grueling, honestly. And to hear Jeff talk about it sometimes. Um, I mean, it's not, uh, like you said, the physical does matter. It has to be there. Yes. You can't just go play golf all day and expect to show no. up on race. And um, so my question is this, though. You know, when you're putting together a physical training program you know, and distance running, you kind of, you know, you have all these events from the 800 meters all the way up to the marathon, and they all are a little bit different from each other. And you can't, yes, you can't optimize a runner for every event in every distance. So at some point when you're training a cross country team, you know, where everybody's running the same distance, you kind of, I guess at some point have to sort of make some trade-offs. Well, I'm going to give up some whatever it is, I'm going to give up some volume to focus on some intensity or vice versa. Um, so I'm just curious, and maybe this has changed for you over the years, but what have you made any conscious trade-offs in your program where we're going to focus on this and not that or anything along those lines? You're absolutely right. I've made a lot of mistakes in my you know, coaching you know, career. And, uh, uh, again, the fine tuning has to go with the, the thing we call the law of specificity. To get a specific response, you have to exercise in a very specific way. To train for the marathon, you know, that's different than training, obviously, for the 800 meter. You know, very, very different. But again, I'm not an expert on the marathon. If you want to get great answers, you should talk to somebody like a Jeff Milliman, who is far, far more gifted in terms of answering that question than, than, than I am. But there is the law of specificity uh, that comes into play. And but the concepts of distance running, in my opinion, the basic concept is important. And that is that aerobic strength determines anaerobic potential, your ability to sustain your speed. And I learned this and maybe I'm oversimplifying this and I'm sure I am. And and I don't have a lot of, you know, physiological background to back up what I'm going to say right now. You know, but I li listened to Carl Lewis one time speak at a national coaches uh, convention, and he was talking at a nine-time nine-time uh, Olympian, uh, a gold medal in gold medalist, and he said in his speech, which I think kind of summarized a concept which we base our program on. He said, you know, and he wasn't speaking to me; he was speaking to the group. He said, I. He said he beat many of his uh, uh, opponents. At, at about 40 yards or 40 meters on, he said, it, because a lot of people think that I was accelerating after 40 meters, getting faster and faster and faster. He said, no, I was able to sustain the speed that I had over the distance of the 100 meter, he said, where some of my opponents were losing their speed at around 40 meters. And so they were decelerating and I was maintaining and that's how he said, and many times he beat uh, his op opposition. So I thought to myself, if that's true in 100 meters, think what that does in every other race that goes up beyond that. Your ability to sustain the, your, your speed over a longer period of time is critically important. And obviously, then the law of specificity comes into play 
where you want to be training more specifically for exactly what the distance is that you are training for. Yeah. So would that mean that say for you and your team, when you're training for a 10,000 or a, you know, a 10,000 meter cross country race, you know, you're going to do mile repeats at goal race pace with short rest and just focusing on that race pace as much as possible. I, I think that's certainly one of the, one of the, the ingredients that I would put in it, in my opinion. And again, it's just my opinion, sure. building tempo runs are the best way to, to, to train you know, for most distance races, certainly when you get to the half mile or the 1500 meter, you certainly need to be doing some anaerobic work and more speed uh, efforts that are included in the, the training. But for the 10,000 meters, I believe that the building tempo run is really, in my opinion, one of the best ways of training. You can fine tune that with fartlek in the middle of it variation running, things like that. And as you've indicated, if you're doing interval training, then it would have to be short rest, you know, that relate to the distance and that, that you are, that you are running. And I think one of my models that, uh, that, that I, that I really, you know, learned a lot from was reading about Ron Clark. Ron Clark said that, yes, he did interval training and interval training helped him and uh, Ron Clark once held all all the world, many of the world records in all the distance, many of the distances. But he said he said he did interval training and it, it had a quick fix where he got he improved more rapidly. But he said he had his greatest success with building tempo runs. He said because in a race, when do you stop and rest in any race? So I believe that building tempo runs are critically important to the 10,000 meters, 5,000 meters, some of the distance races, certainly, uh, you know, a, a marathon. Again, I'm not, not well gifted in that, in answering that, that question, because I'm not a great marathon runner, never, never was. But I think that you want to add variation uh, running, I think, fart lake in the middle of uh, it, it, it incorporated into building tempo runs is a way of getting, uh, the, the raising your anaerobic threshold, you know, while you're running. And by building tempo, do you just mean a, uh, where you go out a sustained uh, run where you get progressively faster yes. throughout the run? Yes. Okay. And uh, again, you can, you can, with a law of specificity, you can try different things with the tempo run and you can be experiencing, Hey, I want to get out a little bit faster. And so I'm going to practice that with this tempo run. I'm going to make a move in the middle I can build that. I can practice that with my tempo run, but I want to be able to run the four parts of the race, be able to get get my position, find my rhythm, be able to sustain my you know pace, and be able to finish the race off. If I make a mistake in one, two, or three of those of those parts, then I don't have any finish. You know, then I've then I uh, don't have the balance in my in my race plan. Do you think the um progressiveness of the building tempo where you start slower and finish faster is that just so you can kind of loosen up and get warmed up and just reduce the risk of injury as you go as opposed to doing a sustained um, even pace from beginning to end is it more is that the idea of just getting warmed up and making sure you don't get injured or is there another reason for that I, in my opinion, you've answered that question and I would think that's critically important because that building emphasis helps you to find your sweet spot in that tempo run. And that sweet spot can be, 
can vary from day to day, certainly by the fatigue that you're carrying over from something else, by the weather, by the wind, by different things. So I think building, you can't base it on a time and say, well, I want to build this and, you know, run at this particular time. I think there's too many variables that interfere with that. But if you trust yourself, your intuition, and you're building into the race, you find building into the temple run, you're finding your sweet spot and are able to then build from that and make the workout work for you mm. at that moment and, and perfect it. And I think the best coach an, an athlete can have is really himself by being able to read himself. What am I feeling? Where am I at right now? And be able to make the necessary adjustments to meet the needs of uh, the race he's preparing for. Yeah. Well, that's really helpful actually. Um, I like that because it's so easy to just fall in the trap of, well, my threshold pace should be these yes. numbers and I'm going to run for 30 minutes at my pace and stick to it. But like you said, I mean, every day you're kind of a different person. So um, that's really that's really helpful. Um, well, Al, thanks so much. Let me finish with this question. Um, you know, a lot of your um, – philosophy has to do with the team environment you know the culture reinforcing having other people to um, build you up and that kind of thing Um, what would your advice be to people who are kind of you know maybe buy into everything you're saying love running love competing but are kind of out maybe post-collegiate or just kind of recreational runners who are out there just kind of training in the dark every morning by themselves every day and really don't have other people to be involved with other than, you know, when they show up for a race every now and then, um, how could somebody like that maybe apply some of the things you're saying? Do you think? Well, again, you know, I think we mentioned this, that you're, you're, you certainly are better when you do are, you are surrounded by other people. What is that called? Synergy, you know, far better together than you can ever be alone. So competition helps you to improve your performance running with others teammates helps you to improve your performance and get better. But I think that uh, what uh, uh, if, if a person is running alone, I think that what you want to do is, is uh, you, uh, kind of use visualization, in my opinion, and pretend that you are or visualize that you are in a particular certain situation with other people or you're uh, in a competitive you know, uh, venture or you're, you know, you're doing this tempo run, but again, it, it comes down to you versus you. And I think that, uh, I think that, you know, in my own experience years and years and years ago, I thought I said, had some of my best preparation for big 10 competitions and for national competitions and for different things I did by really training by myself and starting out, uh, you know, saying, you know, Hey, today I'm going to run the, the, uh, the national championship. And today I'm kind of, but I'm emotionally and physically and emotionally, uh, you know, really dress rehearsing what I'm preparing myself for. So I think you can do a lot of visualization, which helps you to simulate the experience that you're trying to create for yourself. And I, then again, on the other side of the, the coin is that intrinsic value of the feeling that you get by just being out there and having a good workout. I think there's a sense of, it's called the law of effect. 
You know, anytime you 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 have something that you're successful at, you want to repeat it. So you want to have a good experience with what you're doing and you get a sense of satisfaction that comes from it and they want to repeat it again. And you can do that certainly with others or you can do it with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Al. Listen, it's been a real honor to have you on here. And again, I want to just say thanks to um, I want to say thanks to Jeff for introducing yeah. us. And also, um, I really appreciate you just giving up some time. Well, thank you. And I hope there's, you know, some value in, in some of the things that I said, but, but again, it's just my, my feelings, my thoughts and from, from experience, and I'm not an expert in any area. So it's just, you know, some of the things that, that maybe I've learned, uh, along the way. And, and hopefully that can be, uh, shared with others and, and be helpful. <laughs>